In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, about eight years ago, almost to this very weekend, I was leading my very first ever youth retreat. Uh, about a month earlier, I had started my DCE internship. I was an intern, a youth worker intern, and one of the first jobs they gave me was to lead this, this weekend retreat. Uh, one of the, the, the couples in the congregation, the members there, they owned a, a home out on the Kankakee River, this beautiful little spot. And they invited us to come out, and I was going to lead this retreat, get my feet wet, uh, leading Bible studies and things like that. It was going to be this great opportunity to get to know the kids and for them to get to know me over the course of a weekend. Uh, and I was excited about it. I was looking forward to it. Um, very quickly, though, almost immediately, my excitement was tempered just a little bit because we got in the car, and I had this car full of uh, junior high boys uh, who were acting like junior high boys in the, in the back of my uh, two-door Honda Civic. And they were yelling and screaming, having a good time, sticking their heads out the window. Uh, and as much as I understood, because I had been there too, uh, I was starting to get a little frustrated. But I, I told myself that if I could just make it to, to the house, then everything will be better. There'll be other chaperones, other adults, I'll have some backup, everything will be okay. And, and we did, we, we made it there to that house in one piece and... Uh, one of the first things we, we did on the retreat was that the owner of the home, the man, he took us out on his boat. He had this big boat, and we went out on the river, and he took us on this little cruise, and it was wonderful. And, and we started to come back, and as we made our way back, I noticed that there was this wave runner, like one of those jet skis parked on the dock next to where the boat would go. And as we're getting closer, uh, the man who's driving us around uh, asks uh, all of the, the boys and girls, there's about 15 of them, uh, if any of them had ever driven a jet ski before. And of course, all of them said no, and I thought, yeah, they're, they're too young. You probably need a course or a class or a license or something, I would have guessed. Seemed like a silly question. But his next question surprised me even more. He said, would any of you like to drive this jet ski? And all of the course, the kids were yelling, yes, we want to drive the jet ski. And I thought to myself, wow, that is really brave. This uh, elderly man is willing to get on the back of a jet ski with these kids so that they can drive around. I thought, wow, good for him. The next thing he said was, well, uh, any of you who would like to drive the jet ski, Peter will get on the back of that jet ski with you. And you can spend the whole afternoon out there on the water. And and that is definitely where my uh, point of view switched from excitement to frustration. And if you've never been on the back of a jet ski with a 12-year-old boy, then you don't know what it's like to be frustrated. Um, I would tell them to stop, and they would keep going. I'd say, okay, it's time to turn around. Uh, can you just make a, an easy turn here? And they would whip that thing over, and we'd fall in the water. Um, they always wanted to go faster and further. And by the time I finally kind of wrangled them back to shore, and they would jump off, another kid would jump on, and it went on for what felt like uh, forever and I could just feel like my blood boiling and my frustration rising and I thought they did not teach me this in school I was not ready for this I was I was frustrated um, uh, my nerves were shot I've never been on a jet ski since then I refuse to go uh, as you can imagine uh, Tiffany's cousins have one at their lake house I will not go on it um, but anyway, so we, we make it back, uh, the, the time on the jet ski is over, and we have dinner, and then it's time for a Bible study, and I remember I'm still so frustrated, and uh, I'm trying to teach this, this Bible story about one of the miracles of Jesus, where he casts out the demons, and he sends them into a herd of pigs, you probably remember that story, and the kids had calmed down a little bit, I had not, but they had, and I remember one of the, the boys on the trip, he asked a, a good question, 
one that uh, I always get asked when I teach this story, one that I've asked myself. Uh, he wanted to know, are there still demons like that, you know? Um, do, do I have to worry about becoming demon-possessed? Uh, are exorcisms still performed, right? Uh, questions we've maybe thought about. And it was a good question, valid question, but I remember just wanting to say something. I, I wanted to look at that little boy and say, yeah, there are still demons, and I'm looking at 15 of them. <laughs> and if Jesus were here, I would ask him to perform an exorcism or two. Now, I did not say that out of my frustration. Somehow I held it in um, because I knew probably that then I'd have 15 frustrated parents coming at me, but I, I was sure upset. Uh, I think the truth is all of us have our moments of frustration, don't we? Even the calmest, the, the, the most clear-minded among us, there are certain things that can set us off and uh, that get us frustrated. Maybe for you, it's, it's a person. I've, I've heard it said that sometimes the people we're closest to, spouses, children, can frustrate us the most more than anyone else, and, and I think sometimes that's true. Uh, maybe for you, it's driving. And, and you're already thinking about trying to make a left-hand turn out of the parking lot onto Dundee this morning, and that is leaving you more than a little frustrated. Maybe it's your job situation or your health. We all have our frustrations, which means I think that most of us can relate to this story that we heard today from the book of Numbers, chapter 20, the story of Moses. Because in that story today, Moses was frustrated, and with good reason, I think we could all agree. Now, generally speaking, Moses was a good guy, wasn't he? Uh, he was a righteous man. He, he, he tended to do things the right way. He lived up to God's calling. Uh, he is considered one of the heroes of the faith. The Jewish people today still consider Moses to be uh, uh, the father of the prophets, the, the head of the head. He, he's a wonderful man, someone that we can pattern our own lives uh, uh, after. But I think we're also reminded today that Moses was also human, and he sinned just like the rest of us. He got frustrated just like we do. Uh, now, a little bit of background on our story for today. At this point in the story, if you can remember, the Israelites have been wandering in the desert for almost 40 years. If you remember how it goes, the Israelites have been slavery in Egypt for 400 years, but Moses uh, was called by God to lead them out, and he did, and he was going to bring them to the promised land, but the people doubted and they wavered. They didn't trust in God's plan. And so God had them wander around, walk in circles in that desert for 40 years as a punishment. Uh, but the thing about the story at this point is that that punishment is almost over. The, the promised land is right there. The milk and the honey is right there within their grasp. Everything, the good life is at their fingertips. Uh, so close they can almost taste it. Uh, but they can't see that. All the Israelites can see is what they don't have. And what they don't have is water. <laughs> uh, they need something to drink. They're thirsty. And, and so as they've done a number of times now, they go to Moses and they kind of unload on him all of their complaints, all of their groanings, all of their grumblings. They let him know how upset they are with him. They kind of dump it all out on him and, and blame him for their troubles. Now, now try to put yourself in Moses' shoes here, right? This is not a job that Moses was looking for. In fact, more than once, Moses tries to get out of it. He asked God to find someone else, but, but God has called him and Moses is obedient, so here he is, and now he's stuck with these groaning, grumbling, complaining people. Uh, and, and the thing about Moses is that at first, anyway, he does the right thing. Uh, immediately, he does what we should all do when we are frustrated. Uh, he goes to God. 
Moses shows up at the tent of meeting, the place where God had promised to live, and he kind of lays this all out before God, and he lets God know uh, about their complaints and, and how they're thirsty, and, and for that, Moses should be uh, applauded. Uh, God then, in his graciousness, responds. God says, oh, this is uh, no problem. I want you to do a, to follow a simple plan. Moses, take your staff, your famous staff, and go out to this rock and speak to a rock And that rock that you speak to will turn into this spring, this stream, this fountain of water, and the people will have plenty to drink. God was going to be gracious and good and answer their cries and their complaints. And he lays out the steps for Moses to do it. It was all pretty simple, except that Moses doesn't follow the rules. Instead of going out to that rock and speaking to the rock, Moses takes his his staff and he bangs on that rock a couple times. Now, we don't know exactly what his motivations were. We were never really brought into the mind of Moses. It could have been that he he wanted to flex his muscles a little bit, right, in that moment, show those complaining Israelites who's boss here, who's really in charge. It it could have been that Moses thought the Israelites needed a little bit of law with their good news gospel. It, It could have been that Moses didn't trust in God's plan. Maybe he didn't think that talking to a rock would actually do very much of anything. And so he took matters into his own hands. He, he did things his own way. He added to God's word as if it wasn't good enough. And what Moses did might seem to us like not that big of a deal, not that big of a deviation, but what it shows us is that he didn't trust in God's word. He had to take matters into his own hands. In his frustration, he had to do things his own way. Uh, As a kid, uh, my brothers and I used to do this every once in a while with my mom's words. I'll speak for myself. I'll use myself as the the example rather than throwing my brothers under the bus. But every once in a while, uh, my brothers and I would be home alone. Uh, Maybe mom and dad were working or out running errands. Uh, But as we're home uh, doing whatever we were doing, mom would call and she would say, "Uh, Peter, uh, are your brothers there? And I would say, yeah, uh, Matt and Paul, they're, they're here. Uh, what do you want? And my mom would say, oh, okay, I just want you to know that I'm on my way home. I'm bringing dinner with me. Can you tell your brothers to wash up and get ready for dinner? Can you relay that message? And I would say, yes, mom, okay. I'll let them know. I would hang up. I would go to Matt and Paul, and I would say, guys, mom wants you to get ready for, for dinner. Uh, food is coming. She's on her way. She also mentioned that I was her favorite child. Would you believe that? Uh, how convenient. And, and I'm the most handsome of the three. She wanted me to let you know. And she wanted me to tell you that I get to eat first and whatever scraps are left over, you can pick at when I'm done, right? Uh, I, I added to mom's word um, because I didn't think what she said was what they needed to hear, right? I thought they needed a little bit of law with mom's good news gospel. There are things that, that I wanted taken care of that mom wasn't getting done, I think that's a temptation for us in all of our frustrations, to take matters into our own hands, to do our own things, to, to forget that God's way is always the best way. <laughs> it happens when we pray and pray and pray, and maybe we're praying for health, maybe we're praying for a new job, whatever the prayer is, and, and maybe we're not getting an answer <laughs> or, or things aren't turning out the way that we would want them to, And so the temptation there, as we're frustrated about that, the temptation 
is to stop our praying, to tell ourselves, well, what good is that doing anyway? To maybe stop coming to church. Why bother? God isn't going to give us what we want. And, and so instead, we do things our way, which usually involves a whole lot of working and struggling and worrying and stressing. It, it might involve revenge or bossing people around. The temptation is to take matters into our own hands, to stop believing that, that God is faithful and good. It, it even happens in churches. I've, I've seen it happen. You probably have too. When things aren't going well in, in a particular church, the temptation uh, is maybe not to stop praying or worshiping. Not too many churches do that. But, but they might start worrying more about numbers than souls or more about programs than, than people. And, and they, they do the prayers and the worship, but just kind of to check the box and then to get on to the important things, the, the things that matter. In their frustration, they stop trusting when we read the story, I think the least surprising part about any of it is how Moses acts. Uh, if we're honest, I think some of us would have probably done maybe not the same thing, but something similar, right? You can understand how frustrated Moses must have been. That's not surprising. What's surprising to me, what's amazingly surprising about this story is how God responds. Uh, to, to Moses' frustration, God responds with faithfulness. In response to Moses' direct disobedient sin, God responds with grace and goodness. If you remember how the story goes, uh, God has laid out the plan, Moses disobeys, he hits the rock, but God still turns that rock into this stream, a spring, a fountain of water, doesn't he? he? He still answers the prayer just like he said he would. He keeps his word. He does the impossible. He turns a rock into a river. In response to Moses' frustration, God is faithful. Despite Moses' sin, God is good and gracious. Uh, Brothers and sisters, that's always how God works. (laughs) Not just in that rock, but in in all of our lives. You might think to yourself that that there is no way that you can expect anything good from God after everything you've done, after the places you've been, after how you've responded in in your own frustrations. You might think, "Uh, Pastor, you don't know me. There's no way that I can expect anything good from God. But God will be faithful. He is good and gracious, which which does not mean that we can just do what we want to do because God's going to be good anyway. Uh, But it is a promise for us that despite our sin, despite all of the obstacles we might have tried to put in the way, willingly or unwillingly, God is able to overcome our sin and give us exactly what we need. And and if this story for for us today and the story of Moses and the rock, if that isn't proof enough for you, then, then I would say look no further than the cross, right? That's where a, a group, an angry mob, a frustrated people uh, took matters into their own hands. They did what they thought was best and they strung their only source of hope in life up on a cross and they left him for dead. And yet, from that place, from that place of sin and frustration and anger, God poured out a stream, a, a spring, a fountain of living water. Despite their sin, God responded in goodness and kindness and graciousness. Despite their frustration, God remained faithful to his people. See, brothers and sisters, that means for us that there is another way. Instead of responding out of frustration, we can go the way of faith, the way of God. Uh, We can have faith despite our frustrating circumstances. We can trust that God's word is good enough. 
It's faith that says, God, I, I, I will not add anything to your word. I don't need to, and in fact, I can't because your word is good enough. It, it, it's faith that causes us to fade into the background and pushes Jesus to the forefront. It's faith that prays even when you don't give an answer because you know that God is faithful, because you know that he will keep his word, because you know that he is good and gracious. It's faith that keeps on bringing you to church even if you don't like the people around you or the music that's playing or you're not getting those good, warm, fuzzy feelings when you sit in the pew. It's, it's faith that brings you here because you trust that God's word is good enough, that he is gracious and kind, it's loving. It's, it's faith that causes you to open up your Bibles even uh, when you don't want to, even when you know you might read some words that challenge you and confront you and convict you because you know what, what you're going to read there is the love of a gracious God who, who cares about you. So brothers and sisters, the next time uh, you are faced with a frustrating circumstance, maybe it's as you're making a left turn out here onto Dundee Road this morning and, and you have that temptation to do it your way, to stick your fist out the window and say some words that you would never say in church, remember that rock. <laughs> Remember that God's way is the best way, that, that he meets your frustration with faithfulness, that, that he has overcome your sin with grace and mercy. Remember that cross where God gave you everything you need. The next time you're praying and you're not getting the answer you want and, and you're tempted to leave it behind and go your own way and try to fix your own problems, remember that rock. Remember the cross where God poured out to you a stream of living water. And when you remember the cross, uh, I don't know about you, but I think, what is there to be frustrated about? In Jesus' name, amen.